Welcome to Be Customer-Led, where we'll explore how leading experts in customer and employee experience are navigating organizations through their own journey to be customer-led and the actions and behaviors employees and businesses exhibit to get there. And now, your host, Bill Stagos. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Be Customer-Led. I'm your host, Bill Stakos. I've got a very, very special guest with us today, someone who I personally look up to and have so for a long, long time. Colin Shaw is an original pioneer in customer experience. Now, I would say he's an OG, so original gangster in customer experience, if I can use some, some hip-hop parlance. Really cool. LinkedIn has recognized Colin as one of the world's top 150 business influencers. And he's got almost 300,000 followers on LinkedIn. A boy can only dream. So he's also the founder and CEO of a company called Beyond Philosophy, which does some really cool and exciting stuff. And it's his company. He started it a number of years ago. And he's been recognized by the Financial Times as one of the leading management consultancies for the last four years in a row. That's not easy. And that is a very recognizable global paper. That's not some rag that you buy for 25 cents in the street. And Colin is also the co-host of an amazing podcast, and I really recommend all listeners to check it out if they haven't already. It's called the Intuitive Customer Podcast, and it's rated in the top 5% of all podcasts by Buzzsprout, which is a really big hosting provider for podcasts. Colin, I am so jazzed to have you on the show. Really excited for this. I was wondering who you were going to introduce when you told me (laughs) there was such a special guest coming on the show and someone that you looked up to. So I'm I'm a bit embarrassed now, Bill. No, 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 you shouldn't be. I've looked up to you and what you've been doing for a long, long time. I, That's I've very been, nice of you. I look, like you, I've been in this space for a long while. And there are certain folks that are out there sort of in social media or doing whatever. And you're like, okay, this is a lot of high level stuff. They, they've never been a practitioner in a life. But I, what I value most about you is I know that you are helping practitioners and leaders be successful every single day. And I just really appreciate you for that. And I've looked up to you you and all the stuff that you guys are doing for a long time. So Great. Thank you. So really quickly, Colin, just before we get going on the show now, so I mean, obviously you've been in this space. I want to talk about sort of the changes in CX and but more importantly, you focus a lot on emotional, subconscious, and psychological aspects of the experience in the work that you're doing. And I don't think enough CX teams are doing this and or bringing this kind of thinking in their day to day. So I'm excited to get into it. But before we do Share with our listeners your journey and what were some of the differentiating factors in your career. You've been running your consultancy for over 20 years now. I think our listeners want to hear this journey. Yeah, so I, I'm not going to bore people, but my, I started off in corporate life, climbed the greasy pole, as they say, <laughs> and set my sights on being a senior executive, got to be a senior executive. And then I read this book. I don't know if you've ever read it, Bill, called Who Moved My Cheese? Sure. Absolutely. A really good book. book. Yeah. Yeah. Really good book. And it's like the bit about when you get to the position that you've been sort of trying to achieve all your life, you get there. And you, you, after a year, I went, is this it? Is this what I'm going to be doing for the rest <laughs> of my life? And the Who Moved My Cheese had a, asked a really good question, which is, what would you do if you weren't scared? And I had a conversation with my wife to say, 
if I wasn't scared, i.e. earning lots of money and kids going to university and blah, 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 I would actually start my own consultancy in this new area that I thought was mm. coming on called customer experience, because obviously 20 years ago, nobody yeah. was talking about it. Yeah. And that's what I did. So I took a risk and, and started, started to be on philosophy 20 years ago. And uh, yeah, we've done fairly well. That's awesome. So, I love the stories of people who are starting their own. I'm not courageous enough to do it myself. Although I do like working for, for one, the company that I work for today, Medallia, but also for the banks and other financial services I have in the past, I get to drive a lot of good change. But the courage and that sort of that leap of faith feels like it's always there. It, I have um, to say it is bloody scary because you, I wrote my first book. I've written seven now. Yeah, I wrote my first book and you think to yourself, am I going to find this in this bargain basement bookstore for 25 <laughs> cents? Am I going to end up with egg on my face and have to go back to the company I've just left and go, hey, I wasn't good enough to do this or whatever. Uh, but no, it's uh, proved to be one of the best decisions we've ever made and thoroughly enjoyed it ever since. Cool. So tell us a little bit about Beyond Philosophy. What do you all do differently, do you think, than some of the other sort of CX consultancies out there? Yeah, I think you said some of it in the introduction. I think part of it is is just in the way that we look at a customer experience, and, and we've always been different in that respect. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I remember back in 2002 when we started in the first book, I, I had a, a whole chapter in the first book on customer emotions and, and mm -hmm. still people aren't dealing with that enough. And then we've really invested in looking into what a customer experience actually is in much more detail, which is where we've moved on to look at it from a subconscious and psychological perspective. Mm -hmm. So what we so to answer your question, what do we do differently? Well, first of all, and I think this is actually baked into some of the things that you were talking about at the beginning, I purposely called the company Beyond Philosophy, which was trying to get over the fact that you can have a philosophy, but you've actually got to go, i.e. a strategy, a direction, but you've got to go beyond it and do something. So my background is operational, and therefore, You've got to set the strategy in place, but you've then got to make sure that you could go away and actually implement things. Yeah. I think too many organizations talk a good shop and don't do that, basically. Don't lead it into implementation. The second side is we're focusing on customer behavior at a much deeper level. I think one of the mistakes that lots of organizations still make is they still think of a customer experience from a very rational perspective, a very left brain perspective. And there's one thing that humans are not as rational. We, we all know that, even we're, though we try and no. pigeonhole each other into Correct. those rational boxes. Right? We like to think we're logical, yeah. but we're not. Yeah. Um, we like to think we make logical decisions, but we don't. We make very illogical decisions. And the interesting bit for me has always been, why do we do that just mm. from a, and, and we're not just talking customer experience now, yeah. but the whole of human dynamic and why and then how does that apply to in the customer experience environment? Colin, what, do you, what are some of the core tenets of customer experience for you? And then I'm always curious because I'm, I'm a big believer in sort of the, the symbiotic relationship between employee experience and customer experience. Sure. What are the, some of the core tenets of, of CX for you? And are they similar in some level maybe to the employee side? Totally. So here's one of the questions I always get which is, 
does customer experience apply in B2B? Okay. Business to business. And, yeah. and clearly the answer is yes. Yeah. And the reason the answer is yes is because, and, and the way I always put this to people is, look, as long as your customers are human beings, then it applies because we're talking about human behavior. So all the things around, so the, the key tenant for me is, a key question is, what's the experience you're trying to, what is the experience you're trying to deliver? Mm. Have you got a clear picture of that? Most organizations don't. Don't, that's right. What emotions are you trying to evoke in your customers? Most organizations don't know. What emotions drive most value for you? In other words, what return do you get? Most organizations don't know. Now, to answer your question, flip that to employees, okay? Are employees humans? Are they human beings? Do they have the same traits that customers have? Of course sure. they do. Yeah. So the same thing applies. The same questions apply. What's the employee, what employee experience are you trying to deliver? What emotions are you trying to evoke in your employees? What drives most value for a, an employee? So everything, everything we talk about on, in customer experience, you can just take the word customer out and put employee in, and the whole thing applies to employee experience as well. Do you think that, well, I, maybe I'm answering my own question, given that a lot of the companies typically have, are not answering those questions or have yeah. not maybe even thought of those questions. Employee experience as a discipline, I feel like, has certainly come more to the fore given sort of the pandemic in the last yep. couple of years. How do you think that, has, that needs to change further for companies to really bring those two together in a meaningful way? Like, what do you think that we need to start seeing more of at organizations? I, for the I think the of whole issue for me focuses around mindset and understanding. And it's like that Einstein quote, which is goes along the lines of you can't solve today's problems. You can't solve today, tomorrow's problems based on what today or yeah, words yeah, to that effect. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he said it a lot better than I did. <laughs> with a but, German accent too. With a German accent, yeah. <laughs> but the, the, so the point for me is, is this. Too many organizations look at their customer experience and their employee experience through blinders. Yeah. They only look at them from a rational perspective. I wish I had a dollar for every time someone told me the most important thing that drives value for their customers is price, because clearly it's not. And, and all the research we've ever done for clients, that's not, the, no, it's not the case. So I think that the big battle with organizations from a customer and an employee experience is understanding that human behavior, which is, again, what we obviously are talking about a lot on the podcast, which is understanding that people have emotions, understanding that with those, those emotions gets caused by things. Some of those are caused by the behavioral aspects. So without getting too technical, but heuristics and biases and everything else that, that we have. But understanding those cause and emotion. So to truly identify good customer experience and a bad customer experience, you've got to get into that detail. And most organizations aren't even there. I mean, again, it was 20 years ago I wrote about emotions. And still the majority of organizations are not, it's not a conversation you have, isn't it? I mean, how many times have you 
do you hear organizations go, what emotions are we evoking in our customers today? What measurement do we have around customer emotions and those things? Whilst they've got better, they still a long way to go. Yeah, I th- it's interesting. Even from a design perspective, great designers that I've talked to say, I, I want to I make someone happy, feel, gr- feel happy today through sure. the design that I'm creating, right? Or I want to uh, emote some kind of, I want to create some kind of emotion in the design that I'm creating and delivering, even in a B2B context. And when you get those people like, I'm just, okay, let's start working together because you, you, sure. you know what you're doing. I, is it just because it's hard? Is it because maybe emotions isn't something that the CEO wants to talk about or hear? Maybe it's too fuzzy? What do you think differentiates those who get it versus those who don't based on your experience? I, so I think as usual with life, it's never one thing. It's a, <laughs> it's a mixture yeah, of things. Yeah, okay. So one thing is that people who are running organizations tend to have got there because they're good at doing what they do, yeah, which has been focusing on the, the more rational parts of things. Some of the other things are around just their level of emotional understand or, or their EQ, emotion, their level of emotional mm. intelligence. And third thing is you're always doing what you've always done. So if you've been successful, if your organization has been successful and you've been successful by doing these things, then that's what you're going to carry on doing. It's, the, you, it's building that more enlightened group of people. And there's nothing I enjoy more than having talks with people, even, say, the podcast and stuff like that, yeah. where you can start turning lights on and people go, blimey, I didn't, yeah, and yeah. now you're saying that. That yeah. fits with that. Now, not everybody does that immediately because they don't have that level of emotional intelligence. Mm. Quick story, I, I always remember getting a phone call. We, we were dealing with a water company. And I remember I've been chatting to this VP of customer experience in this water company. And he phoned me on a Saturday morning after about six months from me seeing him. And he came from an engineering background. Okay. So very left brain orientated. Mm. And he phoned me on a Saturday morning saying, he said, Colin, he said, I've just been into a gas station. And this happened and that happened and that happened. And I felt this, this. And he said, everything you've been telling me for the last six <laughs> months suddenly fell into place. And he said, I'm now, I now understand what you're talking about. And he really did. And he became one of those converts. Right. Those people that were anti-something at the beginning yeah. and then suddenly get converted. They're even more enthusiastic than anybody else. So it does take a while to get things. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think as I think that because of sort of the priorities as you get more senior, maybe in in an organization, that right brain stuff is maybe less of a priority sometimes or or drives the business less sometimes, right? Um, No, absolutely. still a critical piece. I want to talk about your last book, your latest book, The Intuitive Customer. Yeah. You talk about, so let's kind of dig in here a little bit. You talk about moving beyond just understanding the rational experience of customers and start focusing on the emotional, subconscious, and psychological aspects of the experience. So more of a behavioral economics view, right? Yes. There's a big difference from what we've been talking about. Just CX teams today are focused on, in my personal opinion. How sure. do you start to make this real for the CEO sure. or the CFO or even sometimes for the CXO for them to be able to communicate this in, sure. a, in a way that resonates with a CEO sure. maybe? Yeah, so it's a journey, okay? 
the the first step is so everybody listening to the podcast will be going yeah i know about a rational customer experience okay so i know that customer comes in i don't know to a bank and they they yep. go they enter the line and they do this and they do that and they do that everybody understands the bit the next bit of the education is going okay so how are they feeling when they walk into the bank and they see the line and it's 20 people deep Maybe this is pre-pandemic, actually. But <laughs> it's 20 people deep, and their, their heart sinks as yeah, they think, yeah, I've now got half yeah, an hour wait. Yeah. Yeah. But then there, and the next level of understanding is the is that subconscious psychological aspect. So it's when you go into a bank and you go, hold on, we've got pens on chains. Hmm. Uh, that sends a subconscious <laughs> message that we don't trust our customers. Is that what we're trying to, to do? and understanding that psychological things. So it has to be through that education, okay? But go back to the company name Beyond Philosophy. It can't just be a theory, okay? Mm. So let me give you an example. This may be a yeah. little difficult to do on a podcast. But I went to donate some money to a charity the other day. And the charity was the Royal National Lifeboat Institute in the UK. Okay, they do all the life-saving sort of in, in the first 20 miles of the shore. Anyway, I went to donate some money, and on the, on the, on the screen, it gave me three options. £150, £50, or £20. Okay, so £150, that's probably $200. Right? $200, $75, $30. Now, first of all, so why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because there's a number of psychological things that they're using here, okay? So the first thing is anchoring. So they've anchored the amount, the minimum amount they're expecting me to donate to 20 pounds at that yep, point, Yeah. okay? I was only going to donate 10 quid, 10 pounds, okay? And I suddenly thought, oh, maybe I'm being a bit, bit not very <laughs> cheap on this, yeah. Right. <laughs> but the interesting bit was they had 150 pounds 50 pounds and 20 pounds now why 150 okay because that's a bit of an so if you went 20 50 100 that would seem a bit more logical yeah because you're doubling but, almost yeah yeah but so what they've done is there's two different things that, that are happening here and the first is what they call extremeness aversion okay and that is people don't like extremes okay so we are having some work done on the house and we had a decorator come in and the decorator, we have three decorators. We always have three. Okay. And this is most people typically have three. And we never go with the cheapest. We never go with the most expensive. Typically we always go with the one in the middle. Okay. And that's what the majority of people do. Mm -hmm. And that's what they were doing on this screen. Yeah. They know that 150 would actually put me off. What they're trying to do is they're trying to push me into giving them 50 pounds, the middle option, rather than the other option. So I'm not going to go on to it, but the point I'm trying to make is this stuff is everywhere, okay? This stuff is happening all, all, over, the, mm -hmm. all over the place. And the issue is, are you in control, okay? Do you understand what you are doing? So... When I, if I went to the CEO and I said, why are you putting pens on chains? 
are you trying to send a message to your customers that you don't trust them? I'm sure he or she would say, no, I didn't even think about That's that right. message, yeah. that subconscious message. But it's clearly a message that I'm picking up now, and that's in a subconscious manner. The danger here, Bill, is you're going to send me off on talking. I'm going to be talking on this for about the next four hours, basically. So <laughs> I'm going to shut up at that point. I know. I've got time. Today is a Medallia Wellness Day. We've got off, so I'm, we're not working right. today. So, right. And I love this stuff, so I can geek out on it all the time. I, if I go back to your nonprofit example, Colin, if I were the designer right? I, how I might turn that around. And you correct me if I'm off here, but I might say, here's how we're going to do this. Here's how we drive revenue for the nonprofit, right? Yeah. We create, right? There's this thing, there's this bias called, right? It's an aversion bias yeah. so, or, or extreme bias. We're going to put 150 pounds on the, on the yeah. site. No one's going to do that. Yeah. Almost nobody. Correct. And by the way, our average donation is only 10 pounds anyway, Correct. but we want to come in more. So we're going to put in two numbers that are lower and yes. close enough together where someone will give, some people will give us 50, most people yes. will give us 20, even though they wanted to give us 10. Yeah, so, no, absolutely. All right, and here's the math. Here's maybe, I think what a lot of customer experience people don't do though is to say, the next step of that is, here's the math. Here's how much more in donations we think we'll get with this yeah. design. And then prove that out. Well, absolutely. And the, the prove it out bit is the important bit, okay? Because and this is great because it's a digital experience. Yeah. Now, guess what? I can run three or four different experiments. So maybe 150 pounds is wrong. Maybe it should be 75 pounds. So yeah. I'm going to run a normal one, 20 mm -hmm. pounds, 30 pounds, 40 pounds. So I'm going to see what revenue I get from that. And I'm going to do this one. I'm going to yep. do that. one. But the point is, and going back to your overall point, is it comes through education and understanding. Okay, we had, so interestingly, on the show a few weeks ago, we had two behavioral scientists, and this is people that are very educated, and let me be clear, I'm not saying that every customer experience professional needs to be a behavioral scientist, mm. okay, but they need to understand it at a level where they can start to affect things. So we had a couple of behavioral scientists on the show from fintechs the other, other week, Okay, and I said to them, just chatting about, well, what do they do for a living and how mm, do they mm. do it and stuff? And I said to them, how many fintechs have behavioral scientists? And they said, oh, well, all of them. All of them do. Because it's all about one thing we know is that what people say, what customers say, and what they do are different. So the danger is that you listen and this is ironic because my second book was about customer centricity. <laughs> the danger is, is you listen to your customers. So Disney know when they ask their customers what to eat at a theme park, Disney know that people say, I'd like to have an option of a salad. Disney also know that people don't eat salads at theme no, parks. No, that's right. <laughs> they eat hot dogs and hamburgers. Yeah, that's right. Chicken yeah. fingers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So by definition – You've got to listen to your customer, but you can't take everything they say as being absolutely correct. Yeah. What you should be doing is looking at what they are doing. Okay. So listen to this is what I'm saying I'm going to do, but now let's look at what you're actually doing. And let me give you one more example. 
we did some work in a hospital system in Houston. And that from their customer research, we found that the sort of daily feedback that patients wanted to spend more time with doctors. Okay. So they were just about to implement a big program to increase the amount of time with doctors, which involved more doctors, which involved yeah. blah, 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 lots of things. When we, d- we do a special form of research called an emotional signature, and we, we found that it wasn't that, doctor, that patients wanted to spend more time with doctors. What they really wanted that they didn't articulate was they wanted the doctors to listen to them. Okay, They wanted to do- feel, important word, that the doctor had listened to them. Okay. Now that manifested itself in saying, I want to spend more time with my doctor, working on the assumption that if I spent more time with my doctor, then they would actually listen to me. Now, you can imagine that if they had actually implemented that and they still felt that the doctor hadn't listened mm-hmm. to them, that would have declined customer satisfaction. Sure. Okay. So the point I'm making is you've got to look underneath the skin of what customers and employees say. I mean, I've never had a survey internally where salary doesn't come out as the top motivator, theoretically the top motivator, but it never is. So you've got to look underneath it is the point I'm trying to make. I I think that's a really incredibly important one to highlight. Just so many CX teams out there I see just are just doing the surveys, getting the 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12% of their respondents and that's what they're doing right that's what and and i think that and i've been on a webinar you and joe pine and, and others have run where it's sort of like the the death of cx almost and i think part of sure. the reason is teams are too focused on the survey responses and not thinking about other signals or even just going out and observing their customers in the real world using their products on some level as well where the, where a lot of teams are missing the trick so for those listening Get out there in the field, start there, look at people, how they're using the product and what they're doing and what's going on around them to, uh, as well as the behaviors, looking at financial data, operational data as well, not just sort of survey data. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. And, and loads of data, obviously, from companies like your, who you're employed by. Yeah. That you, so here's what customers are saying. Now let's look at the data and see doing. what customers are doing. It, and, and let me be clear, I'm not saying in every case that it, it's, there's a difference, but there will be a significant difference between the two. Yeah. And for me, it's not that customer experience is going away. I think that what's actually happening is there's a new wave of change that's going to be starting to come along. What do you think that is? I'm curious. I've labeled it and others have labeled it customer science. So the the way that, so what's happening for me, it feels like it was 20 years ago. So let me paint the picture 20 years ago. 20 years ago, everyone was talking CRM. Everything was about CRM. They were talking at the time about CRM failing and the investments not being worthwhile. And as a wave of change, it was mm. it was declining. Now, and, and the important aspect that I'm trying to emphasize here is as a wave of change, okay? When I started Beyond Philosophy, I thought the wave of change would last 10 years, okay? It's lasted 20, 
Mm. Yeah, and potentially more. But I think that what's happening now is there's this new, to use the, the latest phrase, there's a new variant coming out, okay, of customer experience. And I think that customer experience as a wave of change is declining, okay? It's interesting, the, and I think I, I mentioned this before, but if I looked at the American Customer Satisfaction Index, Okay, it's now a 17 year low. Okay, so lowest point for 17 years. Now, your listeners may be going, Oh, that's due to the pandemic. Well, undoubtedly, the pandemic's had an effect. Sure, but we had the president of Ski on the show the other week, and what he told us was that between 2010 and 2019, only 30% of organizations improved their customer experience. 60% remained flat or declined, okay? And that horrifies me, Yeah. okay? Yeah. So if you're a CEO and you're sitting there and you're going, okay, we're coming out of the pandemic, we, we've now got to refocus, repurpose ourselves, what are we doing, how mm -hmm. do we respond to the new environment? Which groups have produced results over the last few years? What investments should we be making in the future? Mm -hmm. If I was them, I'd be looking at all the teams, including the customer experience team, and going, so what have they produced? Have mm -hmm. we, are they part of the, are we part of the one third of organizations that improved our customer experience? Or are we part of the two thirds that have remained static or declined? Mm -hmm. And therefore, I think there's a danger there for, for, for that happening. But I think, Sorry, I'm rattling on because this no, is one of my fa favorite subjects at the moment. To answer your question, what is the new yeah. variant? For me, it's customer science, okay? And I was talking to somebody the other day. They labeled it customer intelligence. I couldn't care less what they call it, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. But it's the amalgamation or the fusion between AI, data, and behavioral science. So data from different sources, yeah? not just within the company, but external sources. AI, so you can start to automatically understand what's coming through, but looking at it through the lens of behavioral science. And this is effectively what the, these fintechs are doing with yep. the behavioral scientists, is that the fusion of those three things are coming together and I think that will be as a wave of change. That will be the next wave of change. Now, let me stress, that does not mean customer experience is going away. And the analogy that I've done, I've looked at since last I did that webinar with Joe Pine, et cetera, it, CRM declined as a wave of change, as we know, okay? But the CRM market grew from something like 16 billion to 69 billion over the last 10 years. I think it was a stat that you I, even gave me. I get, yeah, I remember yeah, sending you the you. chart. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, which made me go, yeah, so it doesn't mean that it's going away. I'm not saying customer experience yeah. is suddenly yeah. going to disappear, yeah. but it's going to become business as usual and there will be another focus. And so it's not that customer experience is going to die. It's going to be absorbed is the word I'm using. Mm. 
into business as usual, just like CRM was. It, it's now most organizations have CRM. Yep. Okay. I mean, you can't really survive without That's CRM. That's absolutely right. It's, it's, it's you know? absolutely critical technology. Yeah. Yeah. So consequently, it, it's, I'm talking about it being as a focus. And I think the focus over the next 10 years is going to shift. And I think that the key word in the next 10 years is going to be proactive. I think that providing a proactive experience, so doing things to customers before they even think about it, before they even know they want it, basically. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing some of that now, not maybe to the level of sophistication as we might expect, but I think in three years time, and no, no more than that, actually, with the advent of journey orchestration and sort of the ramp up that that's even now seeing the automation of the next best journey as consumers. And I'm actually talking to Ray Gerber, who is the chief product officer for Thunderhead. I'm going to have him on the show next week. And one of the topics is, as consumers, how are we going to even notice this? We're probably not going to notice it, but we're going to be kept in that funnel, so to speak. So the business drivers or the business use cases around customer experience, at least in my personal view, are really going to come more to the fore where this is going to be from a CEO's perspective or a CFO's perspective, the light bulbs for them are going to start to go off. And I love how you kind of put together those three kind of pillars and how we can leverage technology to be able to drive that. But that automation, machine to machine, as digital sort of becomes even more sort of proliferates even more, I think is a really critical part to all this too. Yeah. No, I think the next few years is going to, because by definition, you're then into the whole digital arena. If you're training your AI through the lens of behavioral science, yeah. you're taking into account all of those nuances that, that we were just talking about. My worry is that the area where I think that, that there's, there will be a challenge is, again, getting organizations to look at it through that behavioral science mm. lens. The mm. danger is as they build their AI just around the rational things and they miss mm-hmm. the opportunity, basically. Yeah. And the AI could even drive proactive human to human, right? Just by feeding that saying, hey, Bill, you've got to call Colin now because this is happening when this has happened in the past. Yeah. It has not gone well yeah. for our company. So get ahead of yeah. it and go ahead, right? So, Well, not only that is I, I could see a time where the AI is effectively flashing up, going, hey, this customer, we predict that this customer is now feeling frustrated. Yeah, You don't know that they're frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. Or this customer, 20% of these customers typically leave after this type of environment that they've had. So we now need to do this to yeah. make sure that we, we keep them. And, and again, you're being keyword proactive in it. You're doing things before it's even manifest itself with a, with a, with a customer. Maybe we'll coin a new term, pro-CX, proactive CX, right? Yeah. Uh, let's trademark yeah. it now before someone else takes. <laughs> Colin, I've got a couple more questions for you. Who do you look up to? So the, I'm always, I love asking this question, per- particularly from folks like you who have just been doing such great work for such a long time in the space. Who do you look up to from a business perspective? <laughs> there's not, I have to say there's not a lot of people. The one that I always followed was the late, great Stephen Covey. And if you haven't ever read his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I mean, that was just, that was really... It's a life-changing uh, book. Really, yeah, it was really good. And it really had a profound effect upon me. 
But I don't think that there are enough. I mean, uh, the Tim Cooks of this world, I love Apple. Okay, I've got Apple everything. And your people that listen to the podcast will know that I bang on about it all the time because I think they, they do a really good uh, job in their customer experience and just doing things before you even recognize that you need them, basically. So I think it would be, it's a limited group of people. I think that would be a short answer for you. A quick story. I was having a conversation with someone about opening up my, I've got Apple laptops and phones and all that as well, but that they designed the boxes to be just a pain in the ass to open, just so the anticipation sure. starts to build up for yeah. you. Like totally. I need this product out of the box, right? Like, yeah. but you yeah. don't think that you just, no. you're like, oh, I got to get it out. Um, it, it's also, I think about it, I should mention Steve Jobs because he, for me, was just amazing. And who, go back to the difference between what customers say and what they do. Who said they wanted an iPhone? Yeah, nobody. Right? Nobody said that they wanted an iPhone. And again, if you took those three areas I've just talked about, data science, it was all the things that, that he was dealing with at the time in terms of G- GPS, uh, touch sensitive. Those things have been around for a long time. Decades. But yeah. the, it's the time had come for those, the fusion of those things to come together. Yeah. And the same is applying, in my view, for this whole area of customer science. But yeah, Steve, Steve Jobs. You, you know, in Isaacson's book where he profiles jobs, he talks about, so Chief Jobs kind of stole it. He saw the technology, whatever. I'm like, you can't say he stole it. I mean, the guy brought this to market at, sure. at a mass consumer level, right? It would have yeah. been stuck in a lab somewhere if it yeah. wasn't for him, no, you know, totally. et cetera. Where do you go for inspiration? I know we, we talked about fishing. So I get inspiration when I go fishing, by the way. It's one of right, my favorite. Uh, I'm playing golf this afternoon right. as part of my wellness day. Where do you go for inspiration, Colin? I, I, I'm sure like many people, I get my best ideas when I'm not thinking about work. <laughs> so I do like fishing because it, it, your mind's just on a different thing. So your mind is just thinking about why are these fish, I'm not catching these fish and if I change this, then would that work? The other thing we were talking about earlier for those watching the video is I enjoy the guitar, just playing the guitar because that's just something, again, completely different. The other way of answering your question as well is, I'll be totally honest with you, I don't listen to many, I don't read very much in the customer experience space. I don't uh, either. Uh, right, yeah. I find it an echo chamber now. So I go out to other, other areas. I, and here's a little trick for everybody. So I would read Psychology Today, okay, a website. I mean, mm. in fact, we do a newsletter called None of Us Are As Clever As All Of Us. I think mm-hmm. you've seen it, Bill. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, where, where I put stuff in there from different sources of things I'm reading. But you go out to these types of websites, and I don't know, talking about re- human relationships, yeah? But when I'm reading it, I've always got in the back of my mind, how does this apply to customer experience? So this isn't something I'm reading about an unrelated topic to customer experience, but how could I make it apply? Are there some underlying principles here? Because I'm going back to that bit about this is about human behavior. So what's the human behavior that's underlying it? Mm. So I go to many different sources now, psychology websites, read different reports from everywhere else and 
it's not that I, avo- I avoid customer experience stuff. I just don't find a lot of value in reading it, to be honest. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of the stuff that's largely, there's there some great folks out there who are writing just sure. fantastic material. Yep. Don't get me wrong. But by and large, I feel like it's a lot of the same theoretical kind of stuff that's yeah. not going to really help folks day to day. Yeah. Colin, this has been a wonderful conversation. It's great to see you again. Thank you for the gift of your time today. No, it's been uh, great. Been a good conversation to have. And I, I hope, a, you do, hope you do well on the golf this afternoon. I hope so too. I hope so too. <laughs> I feel like these days it's, it's been a challenge. I've got to go get, take some more lessons before the, the golf season is full, in, full, in full swing. All right, everybody. Great show for you all. We'll see you next week. We're out. All right. Talk to you soon, Thanks everyone. for listening to Be Customer Led with Bill Stakos. We are grateful to our audience for the gift of their time. Be sure to visit us at BeCustomerLed.com for more episodes. Leave us feedback on how we're doing or tell us what you want to hear more about. Until next time, we're out. We're out.